You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 75 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today I'm going to be talking to you about how to create your own bone meal at home to help feed the soil and therefore feed your plants. So bone meal provides us with two very important minerals that our plants need, phosphorus and calcium. And I'm going to go over why those minerals are so important for our plants and how to make your own DIY bone meal in this episode. But first, a word from our sponsor. So there are a few things I do for my garden that from time to time I would say feel a little crazy. Things like petting my seedlings when I start them inside is one. But honestly, making my own bone meal at home kind of takes the cake, kind of takes it to a whole other level. I mean, who boils bones until they're soft and then grinds them to a pulp and then dehydrates them into a powder and then saves them in a jar, right? That's kind of crazy. Um, that, But that would be me. That would be what I do. And that's because bone meal is one of my favorite organic soil amendments that I treat my plants with to help with phosphorus and calcium deficiencies. And honestly, another reason why I do it is because I like to try and make as much use of the things that I buy as possible. So like usually you buy cuts of meat that just include meat and fat. Um, But when you buy things like a whole chicken or a whole turkey, you know, whether it's Thanksgiving I feel like you should use the whole animal carcass, you know, just make as much use of it as you can. So those are the two reasons why I make my own bone meal. Now, why is bone meal one of my favorite organic soil amendments? Well, bone meal is used in the garden for two big reasons, to provide phosphorus and calcium to your plants. So phosphorus is a macronutrient. That means it's one of the big three nutrients that your plants need in abundance. They need a lot of it. Phosphorus is critical in the growth and development of all plants. It converts a wide variety of minerals, um, micronutrients in the soil to usable form. So it kind of bonds with it, helps break it down so that your plant can use it. Um, It aids in root development and flowering, both very, very important growing processes in a plant. Um, If they didn't do those things, they wouldn't thrive and they wouldn't fruit, which you need them to do. So phosphorus is really key in getting the most out of your garden, out of your vegetable plants. Calcium, on the other hand, is a micronutrient. Um, So your plants need less calcium than they need of phosphorus, but it's still really, really important. 
calcium acts in plants kind of like how it acts in humans, honestly. For humans, you know, it helps us build strong bones, but in plants, it helps build strong cell walls that keep the plant strong and standing upright and able to support itself. Calcium also helps protect against a number of diseases and afflictions, things like leaf browning, um, blossom end rot in tomatoes and peppers, and more. You also get some zinc and some magnesium in bone meal, um, both of which are key in the production of chlorophyll. So bone meal is a really, really good thing to use in the garden. It can come in really handy for a lot of reasons, you know, if your soil is missing any of those nutrients. And DIY bone meal, right, is going to be free, more or less. I mean, otherwise, you would just throw those bones out. So compared to throwing those bones out and buying your own bone meal, it's free. With that... I'm going to go over how to make your own bone meal at home. Now, you're going to need a few things. And one of those things is a food processor. And I'm going to come out and say that if you have like a state-of-the-art food processor um, that you're really proud of and you really love, do not use it to make your own bone meal. You're going to be very upset about what it does to your food processor. I would use an old food processor that you don't care a whole lot about, one that you kind of don't mind dinging up a little bit. Um, Blades do get pretty worn in it, and you know, from time to time you'll end up having to buy new blades, which honestly for a cheaper food processor usually is not that expensive, but for one of the more high-end food processors, it would be it would be pretty pricey. So I'm just going to put that caveat or that warning out there, you know, to not use a food processor that you absolutely love if you are very close to your kitchen gadgets like I have a tendency to be. Uh, the other two things that you're going to need are a stock pot or a large pot and a food dehydrator. So there's like some kitchen utensils like a spatula or um, materials like parchment paper. You know, you're going to need those things too. But the three big things that you're going to need is going to be a stock pot or a large pot, a food processor, and a food dehydrator. You can start with literally any kind of bones. You can use beef bones or pork bones, but I seem to end up with chicken bones the most often, chicken and turkey bones. So one of my lazy dinner things is whenever I have a hectic work week, I buy a rotisserie chicken at the grocery store, or I will buy a whole chicken and I will let it cook while I'm working from home or working from home during the pandemic. And then I have dinner pretty much ready. I will strip the meat off of it and turn it into quesadillas and enchiladas and chicken noodle soup and all sorts of things. But then after that, and this goes the same thing with turkey carcasses for Thanksgiving or Christmas, after that I have a whole bunch of turkey or chicken bones. And of course, I save those bones and turn them into homemade stock. I think I've mentioned that on the podcast before. They don't just go immediately into turning them into DIY bone meal. First, I boil them with the heels of onions or celery leaves or garlic skins. I throw all that stuff in a freezer bag and I save it for months and months. And then when I'm running low on chicken stock or turkey stock, I boil it all in a stock pot along with the bones um, to make homemade chicken or turkey stock. But once I'm done making the stock, I take the bones out of the pot, 
rinse them really well with hot water, and put them right into another pot of clean boiling water to keep them processing. So boiling them kind of even longer or for a second time sort of serves two purposes. One, you take it out of that stock pot, you know, with all those other things, and you boil it in clean water to make sure that all of the meat and all of the tendons have cooked away, right? We want all of the fat, all of the meat, all of the sort of protein that could introduce or attract bad bacteria to our soil. We want to make sure that all of that is gone and is boiled off of there. But two... It also serves to soften the bones even further. So when you boil bones for a second time, if you've used them already to make stock, you want to boil them at a hard boil, so like a a hard rolling boil, until they're like crumbling or or snap easily. This is going to happen sooner for smaller bones like rib bones or vertebrae. They may even come out of the stock pot that way already. But thicker bones like leg bones are probably going to take around six to eight hours of boiling. And you're probably going to need to add more water. Even if you keep the the stock pot lid on, you'll probably need to add more water as the water level kind of lowers. And if you do add more water, just like make sure that the water you add is hot, it'll slow the boil down a lot less than if you added, you know, cold water to your to your boiling pot. Once the bones start to seem brittle, some of the larger ones kind of test them out by pulling them out of the boiling water with, you know, like pair of tongs or something and throwing them in the food processor and then pulse a few times. If they don't start to break down into a paste after a few seconds and they sound like really scary, like threw a bunch of rocks in there, they're not ready yet. Take them out, throw them back into the boiling water to continue softening. Because the softer the bones, I mean, we want them really, really soft. The softer the bones, the easier it is on the blades of your food processor and the food processor's motor. So I know, you know, it's a long time to leave them sitting, boiling on the stove, However, you can go do a lot of things while that's that's happening. If you toss the bigger bones in there and they're breaking down okay, go ahead and strain all of the bones in a colander and then blitz the bones until they start to form a fine paste in the food processor. It's going to look and smell, honestly, kind of like wet cat food which honestly gives you a really good idea of what's actually in wet cat food. Pulverized, you know, chicken bones and stuff like that is actually an ingredient in wet cat food, especially like the lower budget brands of wet cat food. You can actually pick through there and find bone chips, which sometimes I'm like, oh, that's not great for a cat to be swallowing, but sure, I guess. Anyway, once you have a fine paste, sorry, tangent, once you have a fine paste, you're going to want to dry that paste. So set up your food dehydrator and thinly spread the bone meal paste on parchment paper. Kind of if you need to, if you have a smaller food dehydrator, you can cut that parchment paper, you know, into circles or into pieces that'll fit in your dehydrator. You know, don't go smearing it directly on the trays um, because that's going to create a whole big mess and you're going to have a lot to clean up later. So definitely use a spatula and spread the bone meal as thin as you can. It can be a little bit challenging, but just try to get it as thin as you can on the parchment paper. And then let the dehydrator run like 
eight hours or overnight. I would say after four hours, check it. After six hours, check it again. You don't need to run it any longer than you have to. It just needs to be completely dry. It should feel like cracker crumbs. Like you should be able to sort of take some of it off of the parchment paper and crumble it up between your fingers. It should be that dry. If it's not you know, however long it's been in there, if it's not, if it doesn't have that consistency, leave it in to dry for a few more hours. Once the bone meal does feel dry, then you'll just kind of like take it and with your fingers lightly scrape it off the parchment paper into the food processor again. Now you've cleaned it since the last time you used it, since there was like bone meal paste in it. It's completely clean and dry. So, you know, you're putting the dried bone meal in there and we're going to blitz it up again, but that food processor has been cleaned and dried. So we're not introducing any any moisture to it at this point. And we're going to add it to the food processor again just to really grind it up to make it into a powder because the smaller the particles are, the faster they're going to break down, and the faster they break down, the more readily they can be used by your plants. Once you've kind of blitzed it to powder, or most of it is a powder, there might be a few small bone fragments left in there that sort of miraculously didn't get pulverized by the blades of the food processor. That is honestly totally okay. They will still slowly, you know, break down and leach calcium into the soil until they finally break down completely. It's just going to take them a little bit while longer than the stuff that you actually got to reduce down to a powder. Once your bone meal is blitzed into a powder, you're going to want to store it in a clean, dry container. I use a canning jar because I pretty much use canning jars for everything, and I have a ton of them. But also, along with the bone meal, I throw a desiccant packet to help absorb any possible little amount of moisture that that could get in there. So I've talked about desiccant packets before when I've talked about seed storage. They just help pull in any moisture so that the moisture doesn't get to your seeds. In this instance, it doesn't get to the bone meal, and it just helps, you know, any yucky conditions from developing. You can find those desiccant packets usually when you order clothing or shoes. Um, Just kind of pull those out of there and reuse them. And that's honestly it. You're going to want to label, obviously, what it is. Most of the time, you won't have a hard time remembering, but I have a lot of weird jars of powders and substances that I make myself for the garden. Um, So it's good for me to keep those labeled so I know what I'm looking at before I go adding it to my garden. Now, A few frequently asked questions that I have noticed since I first published the sister post for this episode up on the blog a few years ago. First question that I've gotten is, why isn't my homemade bone meal white? That's a really good question because what we see in bags and stuff like that for sale is white. Yours is not white because you did not bleach it. And that's totally okay. Bone meal does not have to be bleached to be good for your soil. In fact, if there's like remnants of blood in there, things that are giving it kind of like a gray or reddish color, red color, you know, when it's 
when it's right after it's been boiled, gray after it's been dried. You know, that dried blood is is not bad for your soil. In fact, we add blood meal to soil all the time as a nitrogen boost. So that's totally okay if your bone meal is not white and if it has a little bit of dried blood in there. Not a big deal. I know it sounds kind of yucky, but it's the truth. Another question I get is, can I dry my bone meal paste in an oven? And yes, you can absolutely do this in a low oven instead of a food dehydrator, but you're probably not going to want to leave your oven on overnight while you're sleeping. You're going to want to do it during the day while you're home. I would recommend, you know, drying your bone meal paste in an oven at 200 degrees Fahrenheit. It's probably going to take at least four hours, if not, like I said, in the food dehydrator six to eight hours, but it's worth checking after four hours because, again, you don't want to use up any more energy than you have to while making it. Next question I get, how much bone meal do you get from a whole chicken carcass? Honestly, not a lot. When you, If you go to the sister post for this episode, you'll see at the very end of the post what I have in the finished jar is from one average-sized rotisserie chicken carcass. So that's a lot of trouble to go through for not that much bone meal, and that's why I will often save my boiled bones and process them, or I should say the bones that I have put in my stock and then rinsed, you know, pulled out and rinsed. At that point, I will freeze them and save them until I can then process them all together, unless I don't have room in my freezer. In that case, I will process them one batch at a time and just keep adding to the jar, but I do like to try and process them all together as much as possible just to save water. Which leads me to my last frequently asked question. Can I use the water I boiled the bones in for the second time? So like, let's say you took them out of the stock and you rinse them off, and you boiled them, you know, until they were soft and crumbly for your DIY bone meal. Can you use that water once you pull them out? Well, it depends. And when I say can you use that water, obviously I'm talking about can you use it in your garden on your plants. Um, I wouldn't go like drinking it or feeding it to your pets. Um, So yeah, it depends. While a lot of minerals have probably boiled out and are in the water, things like phosphorus and calcium and zinc and magnesium, and they would be good for your plants, sometimes there's enough fat or tissue like tendons, marrow, you know, that remained on the bones or in the bones that it's not a great idea to reuse the water from the second boil. Like I said, you know, meat, um, things like that can rot and introduce or um, attract bad bacteria. So if you have a lot of scum floating to the top, which scum is usually leftover fat or marrow or just some some form of protein that floats up to the top, if you have a lot of that, I personally would not use that um, boiled water once it's cooled on my plants. I would probably just dump it. If, on the other hand, you know you've you've boiled those bones in your stock for a really long time and they come out pretty clean and you've rinsed them with hot water and you threw them in the the clean boiling water to boil again and really not much in the way of scum has floated to the top I personally I would make that judgment call for myself and would feel pretty comfortable you know cooling that water and using it to water my plants it's it's really going to be up to you it's just like another thing that you can do to reduce waste um, especially wasting water 
But I would say, you know, you're really going to have to use your best judgment when it comes to reusing that water. So that is it for today. That is how you make your own bone meal. It's really, really easy. It is a long process, but a lot of it is really hands-off. The the boiling, the dehydrating, really hands-off that you can sleep through or you can, you know, work through. It's It's really, really easy. So I definitely, you know, especially if you find yourself right after the holidays with a lot of poultry carcasses and you're not sure what to do with them, or you have in the past made stock with them and then you're like, well, I feel like I could still do something with this. Give it a try. I think it's kind of fun in a in a weird, self-sufficient way. Um, and, and you might enjoy it more than you think. So The next episode is going to be a little bit of a departure. I'm going to be talking about the benefits of eating a seasonal diet. So a lot of us who are growing our own food, we're doing it for different reasons. But one of the best reasons to grow your own food is so that you can get more in tune with the idea of eating a seasonal diet. And in the next episode, I'm going to talk about all the different reasons why a seasonal diet is so good for your body. It's so good for the planet in a lot of different ways. Um, And it's really, really good for your local food producers as well. So that's what we have in store for the next episode. But until then, you guys, thank you so very much for listening. And I will talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.